We'll go ahead and get started. Again, pastor just squeezes me <laughs> on time. It's like when I was uh, played baseball, the umpires would squeeze me in the, in the pitching zone, right? So you hit the outside corner, he calls it a ball. Hey, you're squeezing me. Randy's squeezing me on time here. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll go ahead and get started. Um, dear Lord, we thank you for this time we can come to your church, to your to worship you, to lift you up and to praise you, to study your word and to pursue righteousness and holiness in your eyes. We ask for forgiveness, your hand of mercy and kindness. Pray that you just bless our church and our body and our families here. Pray we'd honor you. We do pray us in your name. Amen. We'll go ahead and get started. Uh, I'm sure some of you have remember. Uh, games when you were a kid, right? You had hide-and-seek, you had a variety of ones, but we had this one called Simon Says. Who remembers Simon Says, right? Everybody remember Simon Says? Simon Says was uh, basically, um, can you grab that door? There, there you go, thank you. Simon Says basically is, you had to do exactly what Simon Says or else you got kicked out, right? So it's a very simple game. How you catch anybody in this, I have no idea, Right? So if you, as long as you said, you know, Simon says, touch your right ear, okay? Touch my right ear. Simon says, touch your left ear. Touch my left ear. Simon says, lift one egg, one leg, you know? Raise your right arm. Oops, Simon didn't say that, so then you get kicked out, right? So you had to imitate, do exactly what Simon says, nothing more and nothing less. Other ways of imitation, you can see that today we're going to talk about imitating. Is who remembers when you were a kid playing house or playing mom and dad, right? So you're a little kid, you get to your parents' car, you sit down in the car, and you sit down in the driver's seat, and you're going like this with the driving wheel like this, acting like you're the dad, and what do you do? You're like this, be quiet back there, right? Because you're imitating dad or whatever. Imitating, you play house, all that type of stuff. Okay, another way is imitation would be magazines. People want to imitate if you get a magazine, which I do not, muscle magazine or fitness or something like that, you always have some guy on the front of the magazine, doesn't have his shirt on, and his muscles are just rippling, and he's you know, going like this and like this. And the whole idea is you're supposed to look at this and say, I want to be like that. Plethora of magazines, Glamour, People Magazine, whatever, fill in the blank, right? Um, I've told this story before, I'll just go ahead and tell it briefly again. I was a teacher for six years, and when I left teaching, because my wife wanted to, we as a family wanted uh, Brenda to stay home, because uh, we just had our first child. So then I remember very distinctly when I went to see a friend of mine named Mitch, and I had no, I had no aspirations whatsoever to do what Mitch was going to ask me. So Mitch was a friend of mine. He was in the business that I'm currently in now, Northwest Mutual. And I called him to do some business with him, and then he instead recruited me. So I changed careers, largely finances, other reasons, so on and so forth. But the point is, I left a teaching job and went to a straight commission-based 
job, I had a wife, I had a child, rented a house. I had to be successful. There was no choice at it. So I knew that the one thing I had to do is I had to replicate and imitate my mentor, Mitch, to the T. Everything he said, I said. It's like monkey see, monkey do. Everything he did, I did. We'd go into a meeting. I would observe how he walks in the room, how he sat in the chair, how he interacted with the person, what he said, what he didn't say, what he emphasized, what he didn't emphasize. Everything about him. And the reason I did that was because my livelihood depended on it. One of the most troublesome problems that we can have, and parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You will relate to this. One of the most troublesome problems in life is watching your children sometimes, and you have in your mind this desirous outcome of, I want my children to look like this, be like this, behave like this, act like this, have priorities like this, we have a list, like a model child. Here's the model child, here's my, here's my children over here, and I'm trying to move my children over to that model child as, as much as I possibly can. And to the extent that they don't, even though you're proud of them, there's always some level of disappointment. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The problem then becomes if you take an honest approach and stand back and look at it, and you say, okay, here's the most desirable traits of a Christian life. Here, hold it. Do I represent that? No, I don't. But I want my children to. Oofta. That's like a punch in the face in the parenting process. Okay? Because you realize that they imitate you is what happens. And so the whole practice process of sanctification starts all over again or continues with you. Today in chapter 5, we're going to talk about imitation, imitating our Father. So chapter 5 in Ephesians. By the way, we have this week and next week. So chapter 5 is this week. We'll try to get through it. Chapter 6 is next week. And then the following week, I don't know if that's Easter or not. I don't think so. Uh, the following week, Jim Powers is going to start, and he's going to finish out the rest of the year, and his class is going to be in the life of Jacob. But today we're going to go to chapter 5, and we're going to talk about basically the first uh, part of the chapters. Basically, the concentration focus is walking in purity. Purity. And then the last part is walking in harmony. That would start with chapter uh, verses 22, somewhere in there. So we're going to go ahead and read 1 through 21, Imitation of Our Father, and we'll just go ahead and start for there. Walk in love. This is the Paul's chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice the fragrancy, the smell that's pleasing But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is improper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, 
which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For we may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, parentheses here, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but are now light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. For therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We'll stop right there. So the whole concept here is to walk in love, and an admonition here, and there's a basis of admonition for this. So first of all, God is love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering. Okay? So what does it mean that God is love? What is love? We have so many definitions of the word love in our society. You love this. I love that. I love to do this. I love my spouse. I love my children. I love you as brothers and sisters in Christ. God has specific definitions here or examples of love. And we're just going to kind of hit on these here. One reference here is going to be 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. So here is the title before that, right above that. And it says right there in words, God is love. So let's find out what that means. Because the basis for the admonition here is if you were to imitate God, if we're going to imitate Jesus Christ, okay, if God is love, therefore, therefore walk in love. Now, then we need to know specifically what that means. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. There's the definition. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that he might, through him, in his love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever been, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's a lot of references to love. So how do you just pin that down and say, what exactly is that? Okay. Well, 1 John is talking about this here. We say, what does that look like? I'm going to talk about the word propitiation. That's a big word. 
has a lot of syllables to it, basically means the wrath of God is turned away from us. In other words, we escape it. It's taken away from us. No more wrath of God. Propitiation of our sins. uh, That wrath is gone. Okay? So then the question becomes, what does love look like? Again, so many definitions, connotations, uses. We went through this, I think, two Sundays ago. I'm going to go through it again because it is so precise and it's so revealing as to what love is. You've heard of the word agape, A-G-A-P-E, agape love. Christ so loved us that he emptied himself entirely. No consideration for himself at all. In other words, it was entirely for the forgiveness of sins for sinners. So this is what 1 Corinthians here, again, Paul's talking about the way of love. And then he starts in the very first part here. If I speak in tongues of men and angels, he's just laying out the reasons here, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Okay? What else? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I, and, I, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. This is the center and the core. This is the circulatory System is love. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my soul, my body, excuse me, to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Boy, that is a pretty much clear picture right there of what love means. Now, what does it look like? Well, this is what it looks like, starting in verse uh, 4 of 1 Corinthians 13. This is called the love chapter. We all know that. Okay, first of all, love is patient. Are you patient? People tell me I'm not patient. I am not naturally patient. Love is patient. What else is it? It's kind. Okay? It does not envy. It isn't boast. It's not proud. And it is not arrogant or rude. What if we could do just that? What if we just, what if we just did that right there? Just stop, throw everything else away, and just say, okay, we're going to do this right now. We're going to be patient, and we're going to be kind, and we're not going to be envious or jealous. We're not going to boast or brag. When you're in elementary school, you were basically encouraged to do it. We call it show and tell. I call that bring and brag. Same thing. It is not arrogant, and it's not rude. Just that list right there. You exercise that and do it in, uh, in what we call increasing measure, as Peter talks about it, your spouse will notice. People around you will notice. Okay, but we're not done. It does not insist on its own way. Ufta. It is not irritable or resentful. Double ufta. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. 
And then it says these right here. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Okay? So if God is love, there's the definition right there. There's the attributes right there that if you contain love, if you have love. And the paragraph before that says, this is how important it is. Because if you have everything else, but you don't have this, you have nothing. Love is patient, it's kind, doesn't envy, doesn't boast, is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, is not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrong, wrongdoing. There's the things that it doesn't do. So if you do those things, you're not containing love. And now we're going to do the things it does do. It rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. So, if God is love, there's the definition of love, Right? then for us to walk in love would be our admonition. The Christian, here's the reasons why the Christian ought to walk in love. First of all, he's in, he is uh, God's child. Okay, I'm just going to hit on that. Children of God. You ever heard the phrase, the apple drops straight down from the tree? 2 Peter 1, we'll just go 3 and 4. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his, to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Here's the key words of that. Partakers of the divine nature. Not the earthly nature, the divine nature. We just talked about the definition of love. That would be the divine nature. Okay? So if we become partakers of that, as his, what Peter is talking about here, then we will demonstrate that and have that. So God's child, a partaker of the divine nature, has received a new nature and wants to express itself in the form of love. But the second reason is, not only is the Christian a child, but he's a beloved child. Okay? Beloved, meaning almost special. Beyond, we'll just go ahead and, uh, John, let me think here. I know I got it somewhere. Yep. Beloved child. 1723. I am in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you have sent me and love them even as you love me, as Jesus is talking. So even as, you, even as the Lord, even as the Father loves the Son, Jesus Christ, also loves in the same way his believers. When you have given me, the, uh, let me see here, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. In other words, a beloved child, not just a child. There's an ongoing, I'm not going to say joke in our family, but I, when the kids were younger, I used to tell each one of them when I put them in the bed that they are my favorite. 
and then I told the next one they were my favorite, and the next one they were my favorite. So it became a conversation. Well, basically he's saying right here, a beloved child, the favorite, a favored son. Here's a good one right here. So the third item of why the Christian ought to walk in love is he was purchased with a great price. We often talk about prices of things, right? And this is, this is a great one. This is, this is just, um, we'll just start out with uh, John 15, 13. I'm just going to uh, do that. I'll start with 12, actually. And he says here, um, Jesus is talking. He's being the true vine. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Okay. So purchasing. You were purchased at a price. You're a believer. You had a great purchase. The death on the cross was a great purchase, a great price that was paid for you, that you get to enjoy because of that price. Paul compares Christ's sacrifice with the sweet savor of sacrifice in the Old Testament in Leviticus and other, in other pieces of scripture. Talk about the laying down the life so that someone, that someone may lay down his life for his friends. He says that before his death. Being in the army, military, I'm interested in military things. I read about World War II too much. I've been fascinated to have been alive at that time. But in the, in the combat situation where you have soldiers who lay down their life for their fellow soldier, it's unfathomable to the, you and I who are not in that situation at that time. Uh, there's a book, or I should say a series called Band of Brothers. Uh, Stephen Ambrose was a uh, famous author, wrote about World War II stuff, and he talked about basically the love between soldiers in that same situation, that same foxhole, that same life and death scenario. And it became almost a, almost like an ecstasy between the two. They just absolutely would give each other's life for the person next to him fighting with them. That that human relationship of that type almost, almost like is more intense than like a marriage. Because it's like life or death right there that you two are sharing it. He's talking about that. Talking about giving his life. Okay, last one here we're going to talk about God is light. Okay? God is light. So... This has to do with Ephesians 5, uh, 3 through 14 here. But basically, other reference here is 1 John uh, 1, 5 and 7. Walking in the light. And this one here is interesting to me because what is light? It's the absence of darkness, right? 1 John 1, 5 through 7, walking in the light. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, 
as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. There's the result. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What exactly is light? Well, it's a lot of things, right? Um, I can give an example of darkness. I know what darkness feels like, right? So I can remember uh, when I was a kid, we had this dairy barn with cows in it, and the haymow above it was full of stacked bales of hay. And our, the kids, me, my brothers, sisters, whatever, had to take turns. So one night you'd help milk the cows, the next night you feed the calves, the next night you get down the hay from the haymow, right? But milking the cows always took the longest, right? So that was the one time that you had the longest chore. If you had to do all the other stuff, you got to leave maybe in an hour. But if you're milking cows, it might be an hour and a half, might be two hours. So my brother Scott, everybody feared the haymow because it was dark. And there's one little light over there in the corner, right? One little tiny light in the corner. It would give you just enough light to see shadows. And when you're 10 years old, you're scared. I don't care how you pray, uh, talk about it. When you're 10 years old or 12 years old, you're scared. All it takes is big brother to come along and say, Jeff, is it, uh, is it your turn to get uh, hay down tonight? Yep. Well, um, he said, uh, I'm milking the cows tonight, but here's the deal. When I was up there last night, I think I saw somebody, guy over there in the corner looking at me the whole time. But I'll get the hay down for you tonight if you milk the cows. That was my brother Scott. And of course, I actually gave in to that a few times. Finally, after that, I said, nope, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going up to face that guy. There was never any guy. But the point is, it was dark. It was scary. I would have gave a million dollars for my dad to string lights all the way across the whole thing so I could get up there and actually see. Right? Stinker. I'll tell him about that next time. Right? God is light. Sheds light. Okay? We'll keep moving here. Three descriptions of believers. Okay? In this, in this uh, Ephesians part here. I'm going to go ahead and talk about this. Three descriptions of believers. In verse uh, 3 and 4. Okay? We are saints. Set apart ones. 3 and 4. But sexual immorality and, and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among what? Saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Okay? What is a saint? A saint is a believer. We are saints. Set apart. No longer belong to darkness. Okay? Besides the Hamal thing, right, I can remember a number of situations where I just absolutely hated the darkness. I remember when I was a kid also walking to my deer stand when I was a 14 years old and the first light is at 6:30 that's when you can that's when the sun comes up right and when the sun comes up that means a half an hour before then is when shooting hours are so it's six o'clock so we leave our truck at 5:30 it's cold it's miserable you got you think enough clothes on you don't and you're walking in complete darkness through the woods and, ho- and any movement scares you right you're just craving at 6.30 when that sun comes up and you see that first little glimpse of light is so refreshing. It is so refreshing. Okay? 
But we're talking about here is darkness, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, which is idolatry, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Also, no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking. Basically, what we're talking about here is an uncontrolled sinful appetite. Sins of the heart. Author has something to say about this. Jesting. Foolish talk. Coarse, coarse talking. Coarse joking. He calls it jesting. Like I jest. Jesting. Jesting is a translation of a word that means able to turn easily. Okay? This suggests a certain t- kind of conversationalist who can turn any statement into a coarse jest. Join the army once. You'll get a lot of that. Or work in a factory. The gift of wit is a blessing. But when it's attached to a filthy mind or a base motive, it becomes a curse. There are quick-witted people who can pollute any conversation with jests and are always inconvenient or out of place. How much better is it for us to be quick to give thanks? This is certainly the best way to give glory to God and keep the conversation pure. It's funny that Paul just hits on some of the most common sins that we have that so easily to dis- that we so easily display. Okay, let's keep moving. Verses 5 and 6, he talk, we're going to talk about being kings. Okay, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and pure or as who is covetous, that is, idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God becomes upon the sons of disobedience. When we trust in Christ, we are entered into the kingdom of God. If you deliberately and persistently, persistently live in sin, you will not share in the kingdom. That's what Paul is saying. Notice that covetousness equals idolatry. Same thing, the worship of something else besides God. In other words, what we're dealing here is with a habitual practice of sin, not the occasional act. Notice King David, a man who pulled a doozy, sees someone else's wife, commits adultery, finds out she's pregnant, and then figures out how to kill the husband. Not exactly focus on the family here. But, because of his repentance when confronted, and because of his non, what I will use the word of habitual sin in this, in this area, he's forgiven, right? Horrifying instance, but nonetheless not habitual. It's an occasional Here's the danger of all this, though, is we talk about almost basically to the point of grace, saying, okay, if grace is bound, then why don't I just keep on sinning? Paul had something very distinct to say about that in Romans chapter 6. Here's the danger of this, and this is a big danger. Chapter 6, dead to sin, alive to God. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There was an argument of of Paul 
and some of the uh, folks that he's arguing with about this whole thing of grace, right? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk, there's the key word again, walk in what? Newness of life. In other words, not habitual sin. For if we have been united with him in in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we may be no longer enslaved to sin. No longer enslaved to sin. In other words, not, in other words, not habitual to seek otherwise. Again, we're going to talk about light, uh, verses 7 through 14. Walk as children of light, live before the eyes of God. Verses 7, we'll start there. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. Uh, walking back, this is back in Ephesians 5 again. Therefore, do not become partake, partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness. Again, there's that contrast. But instead, expose them, for it's shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. Okay. It's easy to hide our sin in front of other people. It's easy to hide it. Very easy. We, we can't hide it from God. God sees the heart as in the example of King David when he was the youngest boy, who is going to be anointed as the king, God does not look at the outward appearance. We spend a bazillion dollars a year in our society trying to improve our outward appearance. This is what you get. The light produces goodness, which is love and action. Okay? It reveals God. It produces fruit, according to our uh, piece here. And it exposes what is wrong. The unsaved person stays clear of the church and the Bible. Why? Because it sheds light. It's not complimentary. Jesus' character and his conduct exposed the sin of the people arguing with him, the Pharisees, and that's why they hated him. The believer has no business in darkness. The psalmist says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet. In other words, a light. A lamp unto my feet. A light. And a light unto my path. The believer has no business whatsoever in darkness. Paul says, run away from it. Okay, we're going to talk about walking in wisdom, verses 5 through 15, excuse me, 15 through 17 here. Um, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is a challenging, challenging verse. 
to understand what the will of the Lord is. Circumspect, circumspect comes from two Latin words, meaning looking around. The guys up in Shields, they know when I come in, I'm looking around, right? What can I buy next? The Greek word carries the idea of precision and accuracy, okay? To walk carefully. I remember so vividly when I was a kid, a mile from my house, we had the nicest river. Oh, it's gorgeous. It had clear water. It was full of bass, some muskies, a few northerns, some catfish, whatever. And that thing was a joy to me because whenever I wasn't working on the farm, I'd find some way, even when I was supposed to be working, to go down to the river, either my bike or if I got old enough to drive, I'd drive down there. And I would love to go into that river and wade. So I didn't have waders. I didn't have waders. I just wore my barn pants or whatever, right? And you have to wait till it's warm enough, otherwise you'll freeze. But you're warm enough, and the river's flowing through, and it's beautiful. And the reason is because there's a nice little edge of that river over on that side that if I throw a nice little plug right up against the shoreline, I get a smallmouth bass to smash it, right? So what would I do? I would, I, would, I would just go, I'd just put my sneakers on, the oldest ones, and I'd wade into the river. But it's full of rocks. And I mean big ones and small ones and medium-sized ones. And even though the river was clear, because it was kind of, you know, the, the current, whatever, it didn't allow you to see every rock underneath you just because of the rapids, whatever, right? And I would walk so carefully, I can't tell you how many times I biffed it and put my whole body underwater almost, basically. Why? Because I didn't see that rock. And so you very carefully, every step, you go like this with your foot. You look, you're trying to find that rock. Okay, this one's good. I put my foot down. And sure enough, there's a rock there that I didn't quite feel with my toes. Boom. Over I go. Now, getting wet head to toe was not the problem. Losing my fishing pole, my tackle box tied to my side, my string of fish, my worms, uh, box worms tied to my side, whatever. That's what I was worried about. So you dig, you dump in, you get up, you get all together, whatever, you know, brush off, and then you go at it again trying to catch that fish. But you walk so carefully, so gingerly, that you just carefully, carefully every step. Otherwise, you would end up in the water. When my dad got older and he had Parkinson's, he still tried to do that. Oofta. That was something else to watch. You just cringe. Reasons that we should be accurate and careful in our walk. In verse 15, it's the mark of wisdom. Look carefully then where you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Okay? Uh, And then 16a. This one's kind of interesting. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. That's one commodity we can never change. Time. We only have so much time. And basically, here's another verbiage of that. Life is short. Life is short. I remember in third grade, I had to sit right next to my mom. She was my teacher. Why do I remember that so vividly? How many years ago was that? 40 years ago? 45 years ago? Even more than that? Why? I remember it was three years old. Incidents inside the house or playing outside. That was 50 years ago. Why do I remember that so vividly? Time just flies. We all know. And it seems to accelerate. 
when you're a kid and you're 18 years old, you look ahead and you say, boy, I'm going to live forever. This, I mean, it, you know, now you look back and say, how fast does it go? Life is short. Okay? Making the best use of time because the days are evil. The Latin word, the opportunity, the word for opportunity, meaning take advantage, right, of the time, uh, has to do with uh, basically towards the port, a ship that's going towards the port, and it gets the right wind, and it takes advantage of that. The days are evil, verse 16b. Roman persecution was on the way. 1 Peter 4 talks about that. In other words, don't waste opportunity today. 17a, part of 17 here, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of the Lord. Um, what the will of the Lord is, do not get, uh, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay? Hufta, God has given us a mind of understanding. How is that achieved? Prayer, meditation, worship, in other words, to know and to understand, to, to literally seek, to yearn for, to crave wisdom. This is what James has to say about it. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. To seek wisdom to pursue, to understand. 17b, the last part of that, right? Understand what the Lord of the will is, will the Lord is. God has a plan for our lives. This is one of the most challenging, challenging pieces. Because it is difficult for us to trust and have faith in this. Every one of us, you, me, everyone in this room, has had challenging situations. And you sometimes wonder, say, where on earth is God in this situation? Think of Joseph. Joseph, the favorite son. Except in this case, he actually was the favorite. With my kids, I just tell them they're my favorite. I like them equally. But think of Joseph. Joseph's given this nice coat, right? causes jealousy, probably not dad's best move in the world. Um, so Joseph gets sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt, gets accused falsely, ends up in jail. And if you read scripture, it says God was with Joseph. How much do you think he felt that at that time? He interprets a dream, still spends another couple years in jail or in prison after that. Would he ever believe, would he ever believe that he would be number two in the Egyptian government at one point in his life from his situation? Not that we're all going to end up at that, but we all have circumstances where we are tested by our faith. Basically, when you have stories like that in the Old Testament with Joseph, and you read that, it just basically says we need to have complete trust and faith 
in what God is doing in all situations. That kind of completes the section of walking in purity. Now we're going to talk about walking in harmony, starting with chapter, uh, verse 22. We'll go ahead and read this last part here. Wives and husbands, wives, submit to your own husbands as is to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Notice the complete comparison there. His body is in, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Notice that verbiage, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, leave and cleave, that's called, and two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. This is uh, labeled in our book, Heaven in the Home. <laughs> Live in harmony. Okay? It's not, it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can fulfill his calling. Only through the Holy Spirit. In other words, present tense here is keep being filled. Right? Um, author has something to say about this one. can be a tenuous subject at times. Paul said nothing about miracles or tongues or other special manifestations. He stated that the home can be a heaven on earth if each family member is controlled by the Spirit and is joyful, thankful, and submissive. Controlled by the Spirit. Joyful. Fruits, that's one of the fruits of the Spirit. A deep experience of adequacy and confidence despite circumstances. Not like a thermometer that goes up and down all the time. Notice also here... Hold on. Thankful. Sorry, here we go. 520. Lost my... Hold it, we're getting here. There we go. Uh, There we go. Submissive, wives and husbands, harmony, husbands and wives, order of authority. No, uh, not an order of authority, but an operation of authority. Remember, he is talking to believers here. Okay, two reasons why... In verses 22 through 24, that he's talking about submission, submit to your husbands, wives, is because of the example, the lordship of Christ, both submitting. Okay? Headship is not dictatorship. Headship of the man is in Christ and it is God designed. In other words, it's not made in China. Husbands, on verses 25 going forward through 33, has much more to say about that. Uh, This sets a very, very high standard, an extremely high standard. Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by washing the water uh, with the word, he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. Ufta, marriage meets emotional needs. It's not good to be alone. Meets social purpose, bearing children, continuing the race. Physical purpose, fulfill normal desires. And here finally, and, and, and the most, a spiritual purpose. The husband is to sacrificially, not selfishly, be serving. In other words, sanctifying. Okay? It's the husband's job to do so under the authority of Christ. It's also satisfying mutually. If we read the last three uh, verses here, 28 through 30, um, we'll go right here. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife also loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are the members of his body. Okay, to nourish, to feed. Okay, to draw nourishment from. Christ gave all of himself at the cross, for his bride, the church. All of it. Emptied himself. That verb is used. To empty himself. Okay? He emptied himself. And so it is the call here for husbands to love your wives. And when you just read that, you think, that is impossible for me. You are admonished to do so. That is the standard. As Christ loved the church, and what does what? Gave himself up for her, that he might what? Sanctify her. In other words, you have a part in sanctification of your spouse. Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present himself, the church to himself, in splendor. Such a, such a sharp image of Christ in the church, in the husband, in the wife. Okay. There's a there's a there's a parallel to this. We don't have time to read it today, but in Colossians three sixteen to four one, very much a parallel to this. So if you were to go to that at some point here, um, but the root when you talk about marriage, the root of most marital problems is sin. The root of sin is selfishness. Being rooted in the word of God, husband and wife, being rooted in the word of God, as this standard, produces joy, thanksgiving, and submission. In other words, harmony inside the home. A touch of heaven, so to speak. Next week, we're going to talk on chapter 6. Uh, it has to do with children and parents, and then it has the whole armor of God, which talks about basically you're in the army now. I'll close this in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. It is-